Hello and welcome to Fintech Insider Insights. I'm Benjamin Ensel. In today's episode, we're looking at the growing relationship between charitable giving and fintech. Now, with the rise of a cashless society steadily reducing the amount of spare change in purses and back pockets, while the changing nature of work and indeed the pandemic leads to less than bustling high streets, many charities have been plunged into a crisis of traditional fundraising. But while dropping coins into into buckets may be increasingly a thing of the past, financial services uh, firms and fintechs focused on charitable giving is a growing sector that could help small charities, non-governmental organizations, relief funds, and community organizations to to stay above water and continue doing uh, good things all around the world. So today, we're talking about what charitable giving looks like today, what are the challenges still to be overcome? So let's get started. Um, as always, I'm not alone, and I'm joined by a panel of amazing and well-informed guests who are going to shed some light on all things about charitable giving. So first of all, making their FinTech Insider debut, we have my 11FS colleague, Sarah Habib, Customer Strategist at 11FS. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Can you tell our audience a little bit about your role here at 11FS? Of course, again, thank you very much for introducing me, Ben. Welcome to all the guests. Very excited to be here today. Uh, so yeah, I'm a customer strategist at 11FS. I've been here for almost a year now. And so I delve into all things jobs to be done, trying to understand all the customer pain points and trying to solve them. And I'm guided under the great stewardship of Benjamin himself. So uh, yeah, Benjamin is my boss. So very happy to be here today. Also making their FinTech Insider debut, fresh from an appearance on the BBC's Dragon's Den, we have Matt Crate, CEO of Toucan. Thank you so much for joining us, Matt. What should our audience know about Toucan and, and indeed how things went in Dragon's Den? Hi. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Um, in terms of what the audience should know about Toucan, I think really everything we do centers around our vision that we want to create a world where giving becomes second nature and ultimately the way we're doing that is we are making we're trying to make giving fun and flexible and you know i want people to give via their mobiles with the same importance that they do everything else on their mobile phones um so that that's a bit about token we're, we're a donation app um and with regards to dragon's den um yeah, obviously things have gone things have gone really well since the den. We had a good we had a good um response from the den and um yeah, we're just keeping building the momentum now. So it's it's been a, it was a fan, obviously I'll tell you a bit about that later, but it was a fantastic experience in the den and now, you know, we're just we're just continuing the yeah, the momentum that we've had afterwards. Fantastic and welcome. And last but not least, it's another fintech insider debut for Faisal Nejaban, co-founder and chief operating officer at Algebra. Welcome, Faisal. Please, can you give us a brief introduction to to you and to Algebra, please? Thank you very much, Benjamin, and thank you very much for having me here today, especially amongst such uh, esteemed guests. Um, Algebra is a fintech looking to empower overlooked communities up and down the UK and globally through three simple pillars finance, education, and community. We believe that people want to be charitable and people want to help their communities, but you have to make it as simple for them as possible to do so. And the way we've gone about doing that is by producing a financial app, which provides you with all of the same functionalities that you'd get with any leading digital financial app of today. But just by using it on a day-to-day basis, you can help to make your world and your local community a better place whether that's through carbon offsetting or by empowering local community courses. And I'm really excited to tell you all about how we do that. 
And I'm excited to hear about it. It's super. It's really interesting to have you all here. And I'm really looking forward to the debate. So great to have you. Let's dive in. Um, okay, so let's start uh, with how things are in 2022. And Sarah, I would like to come to you first. Who are some of the biggest sort of most interesting fintechs um, supporting charitable organizations? Obviously, we've got two of them you know, <laughs> in the podcast. But can you give us a little bit of an overview of who some of the other uh, other players are? Yeah, of course. So thinking about some of the more established players, I'm sure most of you've heard of GoFundMe. They're the US for-profit crowd platform crowdfunding platform that's raised over 15 billion pounds since 2010. Then you've also got the PayPal's Giving Fund. They're a registered charity backed by PayPal. And they've offered a way to give a network of money to charities without the fees. They've also been very popular during the whole Ukraine crisis as well. And we also have Blackbound. They're a global provider of software and services designed for non-profit organizations. And they've been up and running since 1981, which is quite a long time. Uh, and then going south, we've got the Australian platform Chuffed. They launched in 2013. It's a crowdfunded non-profit and social enterprise projects. So the, the, the platform itself has built up a community that works for social causes. And a lot like uh, PayPal's giving fund, it doesn't charge campaign fees, but it also allows campaigners to keep all of the money that they raise, even if they don't meet their target. We've also got some new and interesting um, platforms coming through. We've got Daffy which was launched by the former Wealthfront CEO, Adam Nass, just last year. And it's lets members choose how much money they want to set aside for charity every year. And it allows them to watch it grow in a tax-free environment in one of their nine investment portfolios. And there's also a really interesting cashback uh, platform called Kindred. So what it is, you shop online and you get a cashback. And what it allows you to do is allows you to donate some of the money or all of the money to some of the cashback charity. Fantastic. Thank you. Um, Matt, I want to come to you next. Are we, are we seeing the sort of emergence of or growth of a sort of fintech for, for good movement? And, and is, this, is this being driven by sort of consumers, by customers, or is it, is it coming from sort of charities or sort of things coming together? Um, what's sort of driving some of these developments? Mm, I think the answer is yes, we, we are seeing a fintech for good movement, but I think we have also been seeing this progress over a number of years. I think people are a lot more, I think people are a lot more self-aware of their own desire to do good. You know, I think this is what we see now. We see, you know, the, the, the birth of Toucan was, um, it, actually from a from a statistic that i uh, i read a few years ago that really shocked me and it was the year 2017 was the first time that millennials became the largest generational giving group in the uk so i think in terms of younger generations wanting to do good this this is certainly happening and and it's progressing every year and ultimately they need to be serviced through you know financial technology so i think what we're seeing now is is a rise in platforms that are meeting that demand for i guess so self social impact um combined you know sorry on a on a platform that that they understand and 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 they can mobilize faisal you made a really interesting point uh, you mentioned communities earlier. How, how important is community to this? I think sometimes you know people think of charitable giving as an individual sort of enterprise, but but how important are communities to, to charitable giving? Thank you. It's a very very good question, Benjamin. I mean, uh, charitable giving can be split into so many different definitions, right? Into so many different causes. 
uh, there are so many different things that you can actually donate your money to. And you have to kind of decide. Sometimes the difficulty is deciding where you want to donate that money and where it goes. And actually, where can somebody really make a difference? And what's being underserved at the moment? And what we're seeing is that community organizations that seek to empower people, in particular overlooked communities to break the glass ceiling, are not supported enough by the private sector. And that's what Algebra is looking to do. So when we talk about charitable giving, absolutely, we talk about the traditional charitable giving and the roundups and, and, and that you would ordinarily expect. But what we've also committed to do is to um, uh, uh, commit 10% of our profits to community organizations. For example, we wanted to encourage uh, women's football and diversity in women's football as well. So last year, we sponsored a local women's football tournament, and that's been going on for about a year or so. And every Sunday, about 80, 100 girls get together um, and play football with one another. We created a club for them. We sponsored them. We created the logo for them. That sense of empowerment, that also falls under charitable giving as well. And that is where we feel that the market hasn't really tried to address it. That's where algebra comes in, I think, makes us particularly different to what's going on today. Very interesting. I'd love to get a bit more of an understanding of how the um, how the sort of mechanics work when you start taking in donations. Maybe I can go to, to you, Matt, and then and then come back to you, Faisal. Um, when you when you start collecting funds for you know a particular cause and so on, how do you pass that on to the charities? I mean, is that just you just do you send it over as it comes in? How how do you structure that those donations? Yeah. So so I think. Yeah, a couple of couple of points. I think firstly, just on the com- I just want to make a really quick comment on communities, if that's please, okay. Please do, please that's do. Okay. Yeah. I I think that you know I think Faisal makes it's just such a good point, right? The, the future of giving, in my eyes, is through communities. And what what we've seen, what we've seen in recent years, is the the ability for an individual, particularly in the influencer, um, particularly influencers, creators, individuals can mobilise people on mass upon a shared interest. And I think that this, for me, when I hear about community, you know, giving via communities, lots of people think about that in their local areas. For, for me, it's, it's, it's digital communities. It's groups of people with a shared interest. And, and I think to crack community giving is how, how can you leverage these third parties that have influence over these communities and you use their platforms for good? I think it's a really interesting model. We're, 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 you know, we're quite deep in that at the moment through our influencer-led network. I just wanted to make that point. And I think, Matt, I think what, you're, what I'm sure you're seeing as well within that network is that you get a bit of an echo and a ripple effect in the sense that one person donating is fantastic, but if in a community of 100, 20 of them donate, the other 80 are more likely to donate as well. And that community effect is extremely powerful. And that's why we believe that if you actually want to achieve our mission of empowerment, the thing that you need to do is empower communities because you'll just get this exponential effect of impact in whatever it is that you happen to be doing. Yeah, the thing is, you see it. Community giving for me is about psychological triggers, and you know, you see it in 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 the crowdfunding model. They are masters at triggering a, a community of retail investors to invest in a, in a business. And I think if we can move community giving onto a similar model, you can use the same psychological triggers to use big communities for good. This is very interesting model that I think that I think giving will be geared towards heavily in the future. On your question, Benjamin, about, about donation process, 
really simple for us. We use a payment infrastructure where the donor um, sets up a donation. They um, we actually use a marketplace payment infrastructure, so two can actually won't process the funds directly. We will send it direct to the charity in an automated fashion, and it's quite important to us that the funds get out to the charity as soon as, as soon as they can. You know, particularly with with um, causes like Ukraine. You know, there's no point sitting on the funds for thirty, sixty days. The, the funds need to get out asap. So I think you know a, a solid payment infrastructure with automation so that funds can reach the charities very quickly is you know is, is really important. I slightly regret my question because I, I, I thought of a slightly better one. Um, so as, as you were talking about you know, the importance of community and so on, how important is it to be able to, to, for people to be able to see the impact of the charitable giving that they're doing? Because, of course, in the past you'd give to a charity and you couldn't really see what happened. The money would just go and you felt good, but you couldn't really see what happened to it. Are you able to sort of give donors a bit more of an understanding of what good their money is doing um, through your partners? Absolutely. I mean, for, for us on, in Algebra, if you go onto the Algebra app, um, whilst it is a, it provides all of the features and functionalities that you would get with any leading fintech app of today, there's a few things that make us slightly different. Uh, I won't go into every single feature that, that, that that's there, but <laughs> one of the ones that I'll go into for the purposes of this question is the community section. So actually, when you're donating to community causes, or whether in fact you choose not to donate to community causes, because Algebra will be supporting them anyway, you can actually go into the application and you can engage directly with each of those causes. So one of the things that we sponsor is the Patchwork Foundation, which tries to increase the representation of overlooked communities in the areas of politics and business. And if you want to become join one of their masterclasses, for example, or become a mentor, uh, or if you just want to see what those guys are up to and where your money is going and how it's making an impact, you can do that directly via the application. Now, the important thing for us is that people don't just engage via their money, but sometimes you want to be involved in a community organization or a charitable organization yourself. Facilitating that and amplifying those voices is equally as powerful as actually running the donations to those organizations. That's kind of what Algebra is trying to do. But again, through a fintech app that is as good as any other that's on the market today. Very interesting. Um, Sarah, Matt mentioned Ukraine um, earlier. And of course, it's, you know, the the crisis in Ukraine is in all of our minds. But, you know, there have been other crises, obviously, in Afghanistan, you know, the terrible events there. You know, there's an ongoing crisis in Yemen. You know, there's lots of places around the world where, you know, terrible things are happening and there are people who need a lot of support and so on. Does that provide a sort of a bit of a stress test for, for digital platforms? Uh, do you think um, do you think the sort of platforms reacted f- fast enough? Um, do you see opportunities there for, for people to do more? What, what, was, what was your take, Sarah, on, on, uh, on sort of reactions to, to Ukraine and, and other recent crises? Yeah, I think, I think definitely with the Ukraine crisis, we're able to see how well fintech community was able to come together and solve lots of problems in Ukraine and kind of see how they were able to solve problems. You'll see with the crypto, how, you know, the Ukraine was asking for crypto donations and Bitcoin donations and Dogecoin, Dogecoin donations to help solve the problem. And that was so easily and readily available to help them bypass all the infrastructure problems that they had to solve the crisis. And now that we've had that, you know, we'd be able to take that, we'd be able to go into other countries and use it as a test case Possibly not in other countries that maybe not have this may not have the same infrastructure, the same telecom infrastructure. But you know, we're all aware that there will be many more upcoming disasters 
in the next couple of years, unfortunately. But now that we have this case study, we can take it forward and see how we can use crypto to help solve issues going forward as well and take money into areas. Dogecoin donation is definitely a bit of a tongue twister. I think children in the future will be <laughs> practicing that one. Um, Matt, last question in this section to you. Do you think, has the pandemic changed charitable giving? Do you think uh, Do you think it's sort of made it more digital? Has that resulted in a, a step change, do you think? I think certainly from, from my perspective, from a Toucan perspective, when we did our investment raise, it was our kind of major investment raise. It was, it was just, it was kind of at the peak of the pandemic actually. And I would say, you know, again, another, another stat that was startling. I, I can't remember exactly what it was. I think it was something like, I think 52% of, indivi- of individual donations were cash, you know, predominantly done um, bucket, you know, coin, coins in the bucket. Wow. And, you know, in the UK. In, in the UK. So really, yeah. like the birth of Toucan is about digitalizing giving, really. Um, during the pandemic, ultimately, if people aren't out on the street, there's not, you know, there's a lack of people putting coins in buckets. So I have to say, from a in a world that's going through digitalization, particularly in payments, the charity that that stat of fifty two percent of people making cash donations is one that it, it just has to change, doesn't it? So I think the pandemic accelerated the requirement for digitalized donations for sure. Excellent. Okay, so having sort of thought about a little bit about the sort of current state of of charitable giving, let's have a look at some of the sort of challenges. Um, still to overcome. Um, what do we think are some of the sort of biggest barriers that are stopping charities making the most of digital services right now? Sarah, I think I'm going to throw that one to you. Do you do you have a, a perception of, of some of the challenges for, for charities today? Well, yeah, I'm going to go back to what Matt said, especially with our on-street um, fundraising for companies such as Big Issue. So one of, often, you know, previously when you'd be walking down the street, you'd have cash in your pocket to be able to give it to a massive organization like Big Issue, you'd be able to help people. Uh, and now, you know, that's been completely taken away as people don't have cash in their pockets. I've often been out with friends and we'd like to take, give money or buy something, but we always forget to have cash on us. And we always have it as a mental model, or we must take cash out so we can help and give you know give the money but we always forget so i think one of the barriers is obviously having cash in our back pockets to give to people um how people how we can make the most of that would be you know in the nordic countries they create the system i can't remember the name of it now but it was the, the micro payments so we're able to give, give smaller micro payments and that enabled people to give money to homeless people much quicker from phone to phone and so it's that kind of payment mechanism that would be needed in this country to kind of help people be able to, to donate money to people on the street, to people making payments a lot quicker, or big issue sellers. So something along the lines of that would really be helpful right now as all the cash has been removed from our back pockets. Yes, you're quite right there. Um, in Denmark, you can buy the equivalent of the sort of the UK's big issue newspaper from homeless sellers using contactless payments. Um, Faisal, what about you? What's what's your thoughts on some of the challenges facing charities? I mean, there are obviously there are big charities, you know, the Red Cross, the Red Crescent, and so on. There's lots of huge charities, but there's also lots of tiny charities. Um, how much do those maybe some of those smaller ones struggle with with taking advantage of digital? Um, I, I think they struggle quite a bit, actually, because one, there's a there's a there's an investment to be made in um, either going digital or finding the partnerships and getting the credibility with particular partners. 
in order to make use of their digital services to be able to channel funds from a particular donor to yourself. A lot of these charities have maybe been going for a year, two years, and it does take some time to sometimes build up that 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 institutional kind of credibility around it. Um, the other point is that actually setting up your own digital platform in that sense can be quite pricey. And a lot of these charities won't necessarily be able to do that themselves. So to create an easy single click donation option when you are a community organization that's been going for a couple of years and actually your main focus is around empowering that particular cause that you happen to be after, you're not necessarily thinking about digitizing your donation process. What you're thinking about is how can I get money from A to B as quickly as possible, but you don't think about the operational efficiency of it in the way that we do as a for-profit organization. So what Algebra has helped to do is, again, amplify the voices of some of those community organizations and take some of that pain away from them. And to be able to connect them directly with consumers who care not just about having exceptional banking application and banking services, but also who care about helping their local community and offsetting their carbon, etc. Because the reality is, most of us want to do it. If I said to you, would you like to <clears throat> donate five pounds towards a local kids league that wouldn't exist otherwise? You might want to. I think that would be quite a good idea for a lot of people. Um, but if you don't have the option to do it, if you don't have the choice to do it, then how could you do it in the first place? And algebra is, is, is closing the gap between those community organizations and between individuals up and down the UK who want to affect a local and a more global change as well. Matt, I want to come to you on a, on a slightly more difficult question about sort of compliance and, and, and regulation. Um, obviously, the vast majority of charities are out there to, to do good and doing lots of good, but there's a few bad actors, you know, just in that walk of life, just like any other, you know, there's a few people who try to take advantage of people's good nature to gather funds for things that are not in any way charitable. Does that, have you, have you come across that at all? Does it ever, has it ever been a problem where you've had um, an organization coming to you and you thought, hang on a minute, this, this doesn't feel like it's a good cause. There's a sort of ethical issue. Have you, have you, have you run into that yet? Or have you managed to sort of avoid that kind of problem so far? We have managed to avoid that problem. You know, obviously it does it does happen, but we've managed to avoid it. I mean, I think there are some great platforms out there that help you put charities through DD and validate. So, you know, you've got a good regulator in the market with the commission. There's, um, you know, capitalised third parties that can help you put charities through DD. And, you know, we have a responsibility to, to ensure that funds are going to the correct and appropriate organization. So we, we, we haven't come across that because we've got stringent DD in the business, but obviously it is there. But, you know, I think as well, I just want to make a comment on this in terms of the challenges that charities face. So I actually take a different view. I think that there are lots of good third parties that that can help charities digitalize. You know, Infuse is a great example of a really good player in the market that can basically, you know, they've got generic and bespoke platforms that they can give to a charity to take donations, fundraising. I actually think charities are quite well serviced there. The challenge that charities face, in in in, in my view, from having spoken to hundreds of them, is exactly the same as we we face, which is in this digital world, it's acquiring and retaining. It's you know, ultimately we're we're acquiring donors. You know, two can acquiring donors charities acquiring donors and you've got to retain them and in this world where more cash 
equals um, higher acquisition rate. You've got to be really creative. And I think the challenge for me that charities face is, is, is creating emotive connections with donors that perhaps haven't gone through the trauma that that charity presents a solution for. That, for me, is, is, is the challenge for charities. Can, can, can I just add to that, if that's okay? And feel free to use this to override my previous answer as well, because Matt, I do agree with you. And there was a very interesting line, actually, in, in, in one of the reports that was circulated um, in the show notes to this. But I think the research showed that in, in the donor poll survey of 2021, the research showed that the majority of people actually donated and forgot what they donated to, which tells you that people don't really make an active choice to go and donate to something. It's only when you really put it in front of them or you, when you make it completely seamless. So perhaps I think, Matt, I agree with you there. It isn't that, you know, people don't want to donate or that it's difficult for charities to find those platforms, but just making that seamless and then retaining that customer, that, that's a very difficult thing to do. Sarah, I'm going to come to you next. Is there, is there a generational gap in, in giving? Do you think younger generations are behaving or thinking differently to, to older generations? I mean, Faisal was making some interesting points earlier about communities and so on. I mean, do you think there's differences between different generations? Well, so there's been some studies done recently and it said that Gen Z were the most generous donors and the widest donors, with nearly half having donated three or to more causes in the previous quarter. So there could be many interesting points of that. You know, I think growing up, Gen Z have kind of been highlighted as the most giving and socially active of all the generations. So they're the most aware, you know, they're the woke ones. And I believe woke is a good title that has been a label as a bad thing, but they're socially aware, you know, they're aware of the internet connected, they're aware of everything that's going on in the around them in the world. So they, they have their eyes open to all the pain in the world. So they want to give. And also obviously digital, they have more aspect and it's easier for them to give digitally as well. So and maybe if you're slightly older and plus 40, you might not be aware of all the situations going on around the world. So you may not be able to, um, may, you may not have the, the compassion, maybe possibly, to uh, give as well. But I mean, that's one difference there. Um, and there could also be a digital thing as well with the younger generation being able to give more easily uh, digitally and online as well. Um, Matt and, and, and Faisal, I'm, I'm sort of making an assumption that younger people are perhaps more likely to embrace digital because we tend to see that, right? Um, are you seeing that on your platforms, question one, and then question two, are you seeing a different pattern in terms of what people are perhaps giving to? Maybe I'll go to Matt first and then, and then, and then Faisal. Are you seeing differences between generations? I'd say there is a singular key trend to talk about here, and I'll, I'll keep it short. The older generations, unfortunately, have likely gone through a higher level of personal trauma or tragedy in, within their lives that makes them have an association or an affiliation with the charity. So they, 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 charities gain loyalty there. Younger people, because they haven't gone through that, they're yet to build the emotive connections with charities. But what we see is that younger people, they affiliate with causes. You know, we have this saying in Toucan, um, we, we believe that everyone has an altruistic identity, just like you have a political identity, you have an altruistic identity. And f for us, what we see is that young people move towards causes. You know, that might be climate, that might be animal welfare. So for young, one thing we've, we've learned to hook younger people in, to bridge that gap between young people and charities, it, it, you can't win by putting, well, not you can't win, but it's very difficult putting a charity in front of, you know, the younger generations. The easy, the, the bridge between those two is the cause. 
you know, and, and, and making it a deeply, highly emotive causal area to hook the younger generations into giving. And then you start to educate them on the charities that fund the cause. Faisal, Faisal, are you, are you, are you seeing similar things? Do you agree with Matt? Or? I, I, I do agree with Matt, actually. I do agree with him. Um, and, and look, there, there certainly is probably a generational gap in giving. But I think whilst, you know, Gen Z might be more likely to give, I think those over 40 years old maybe give less often, but give more consciously. Uh, and in particular, they might turn around and say, you know, I will donate once a month to a particular thing, whereas Gen Z might be more likely to round up on their spending. And so it becomes a much more recurrent thing and more likely to do it. Uh, the other part of it as well is that whilst we're talking about generational gaps um, and how that affects giving and, and, and donating, actually, there are lots of other factors that are, that are equally as influential, if not more influential to donation. So income is actually quite a big influencing factor here. That's something that we found. We found that those of, of, of middle or higher income are more likely to want to spend in a more ethical manner. And that's a lot, a lot of that is a reflection of the market as it currently exists, unfortunately, which is one of the problems that algebra is solving. But certainly income is, is a factor to take into account as well. Um, where you're located in the country, that's also something to take into account as well. So there is definitely a difference in the generational gap. But if we just said, you know, over 40, under 40, and that's the only factor that matters, actually, it's very, very multifaceted. And it's about speaking to people and understanding them in order to understand who's actually donating and where it's going and how that whole kind of, to, to understand the full picture in the right way. I'm tempted to throw in a question about religion, because I know, obviously, religion, um, you know, many religions quite rightly encourage charity, and charity is an important part of many religions. However, A, it's a hot potato, and B, we're out of time. Um, but I, I suspect we could have an interesting discussion as well about the role of religion. Okay, so we're just going to take a quick break here, and we'll be back very shortly. It's official. The British Bank Awards are back and we are up for both the Pioneer of the Year and Consultancy of the Year again. But we cannot get there without your help. If you'd like to have your say and vote for us, please head to bit.ly forward slash vote for 11FS. That's bit.ly forward slash vote for 11FS. You can find the link also in the description. Okay. So let's move on from the present day and jump through to what might be possible in the future. Um, Sarah, I'm going to come to you first, I think. Um, do you think the future of digital giving become is sort of active or, or passive? Are, are people going to be driven by campaigns that compel them to act? Or do we think that people are going to sort of donate without thinking about it? And I'm thinking to some of the points that sort of Matt was making about people who've been through a trauma and a tragedy, or perhaps got a cause and so on. What's your thinking, Sarah? Yes, I, I was thinking about this one and, I, and I've been thinking, you know, it could be a combination of both. So, you know, we've seen, so Revolut um, had um, a donation scheme when the situation in Ukraine happened where they would match people's donations. So they had the feature on their app where you were able to donate very easily. And so something like that. So with the success of that, we're able to see that people are very able and very quickly compelled to help others. Now that Revolut has that data within its system that someone is wanting to give to a charity, it can then use information to then nudge people into setting up automated or monthly donation. So it's about getting that information, understanding that the things that compel people to donate to those initial causes, those, you know, those international catastrophes, and then nudging them into making either, you know, 
the roundups that could go to a charity or monthly donation. And, you know, that could be done by Revolut themselves or in a partnership with companies like Tucan. You know, there's to have that data and that information to then help solve that problem from that, that individual a donation for a particular disaster into making it more of an ongoing investment, an ongoing um, charity donation as well. Matt, um, what are your thoughts on on this question of sort of active and passive giving? I mean, this is really the key kind of. This is this is the code that we want to crack. You know, we we, we split the market into three demographics: casual givers, frequent givers, and what we call established givers. Now, the smaller proportion of the market are people that give actively, frequent givers. The mass market is casuals, and what what. I have learned from a few different product lines that we've gone out with is that it's far, far easier to engage people on emotive campaigns and causes via one-off giving and then taking a, a responsibility to nurture them across the spectrum to say that actually, you know, what you've donated to Ukraine's a great example. You know, there's been lots of donations to Ukraine, predominantly one-off donations, but that that's not going that's not going away. You know, that the the trauma that those people are going through, the humanitarian crisis is not going away. So the it's so important to be able to nurture people across the spectrum and educate them that that active giving to your cause is important. But I I, I hope and everything I kind of pin my well, I guess I pin a lot of hope in my career on being able to move people from being passive casual givers into being um active and recurring. And I, I really you know that that's everything about Tucan. We actually only enable recurring donations via applications. So what we do is we bring people in on one-off giving and then educate them within our community around the importance of um, consistent support. And we offer them the app, and then they can become recurring donors. And and Faisal, does your your focus on community does that sort of have the same purpose, the same sort of intent of of, of getting people to sort of continue to support causes and support those causes regularly? That's, that's exactly right. And actually, the Algebra app offers both, I suppose, uh, passive and active giving in, this t- in the sense that we have roundups. Um, uh, we have the ability to offset your carbon footprint automatically because we have a carbon tracker on the app. It tracks your carbon footprint when you spend and you can actually offset that on a monthly basis and that can all be done automatically. But then you also have the option to engage with community organisations in a much more active manner and decide actually that's the community organization that I'd like to participate in or that I'd like to donate to as well. So we kind of take both approaches and I think that both approaches have their merit. Um, but certainly it's it's important to ensure that in all cases, what you are doing is reducing what we would describe as the friction cost between wanting to do good and actually being able to do good. Because that friction cost can come in so many different ways. Uh, one of which can be, I have to go and actually research something online. And most people don't have the time to go and research something online. You don't have the time to know which is the most carbon footprint friendly coffee uh, uh, place down the road, right? So we make that seamless and simple for people. Uh, you don't have the time to research what's happening in your local community organization when those organizations don't have the marketing funds or don't have the spend, but it's something that can empower you and help you to live a better life and break a glass ceiling. So we make that seamless as well, and so on and so on. And by doing it all within a single app and as far as possible, trying to create a user experience that just makes it feel very organic and very natural to be doing these things without having to overthink them. 
That's a really, really good point. I suspect it's it's not so much that we don't have the time as individuals as that we don't necessarily know where to start. And of course, other things compete for our attention. Um, but I but I agree that, that people are, would like more information about which causes and, and how and where it goes and so on. Okay, I want to bring us back to one one, one thing that, that Sarah, you touched on earlier, and Matt, you've also sort of touched on a bit about um, we, when we talked about Ukraine, and, and, and Sarah, you brought up earlier um, the, the, the adoption of cryptocurrency. Um, is is that helpful? I mean, obviously, you know, anything that encourages people to donate is fantastic, and if people choose to donate c- cryptocurrency, that's good. Is that a little bit of a headache for charities having to sort of take cryptocurrency and, and sort of convert that into other assets? Or is it just another way and anything is welcome? Maybe. Matt or Faisal, Matt, maybe. Cryptocurrency, is that good or, uh, or neutral? I mean, I'm going to take a position on this that probably will be unpopular, but I'm not sold on it. And the reason I'm not sold on it is because, you know, as a and I want to sort of put my hand up and say, perhaps this is my ignorance on, perhaps this is my ignorance on crypto. And I've got a lot of friends in crypto. I know a lot of investors in crypto. I feel that, you know, I, I, I'm from a city-based background. We would have to qualify source of funds for every transaction. And I feel that I have a responsibility to put, to ensure that donations that flow through Token, you know, are are vetted. And I think the problem for me with crypto is where it, it, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's very difficult to understand the source of funds of crypto. So f- for me, I, I feel just on a personal basis, perhaps I need a bit more education on it, but I don't feel comfortable at this point in time accepting crypto in terms of donations through my platform because of the personal responsibility I've got um, to, to, to ensure donations are um, They've vetted appropriately. I think that's I think that's a great answer. Um, and yeah, I think it is incumbent on uh, some of the crypto marketplaces and others to make sure that you can trace where the funds come from and that that does work. Because yes, you know we we talked briefly earlier about you know the, the risk of fraud and 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 so on. And and so it is important to be able to trace not only where funds are going to, but also where they're coming from. Okay, let's. Um, we're starting to run out of time, so let's. Um, end with with a couple of questions. So quick question, do we think we're going to see lots of other sort of organizations moving into this area? Um, Faisal, you, you, your firm Algebra announced a partnership with MasterCard um, earlier this year. How does, what does that look like? Are you expecting to see other big, big companies sort of coming in and, and playing a more active role? Yeah, it's, it's a very interesting question because um, uh, First of all, we're very proud and pleased with the strategic relationship with MasterCard, and I'll get onto the detail of what exactly that looks like. But whilst you're seeing financial institutions and banks and all of the retail banks and the high street banks, et cetera, of today, trying to move into the ESG and, and, and banking for good space, the reality is a lot of these are the same names that were in the headlines back in the 2008 financial crisis. And I don't think people have quite gotten over that hump yet. And I think when people see that, they think, you know what, it's great that you are now trying to divest yourself of the investments and the loans that you've made to industries that we don't necessarily want to be involved in, like tobacco, arms, gambling, etc. But there is still a massive uh, sort of trust issue. And so all of the incumbent institutions that are trying to move into this space, uh, the, the more successful ones are doing it by partnering with the agile fintechs 
that can actually make that promise because we've built ourselves from the ground up to be ethically compliant. So by having our own proprietary tech stack, by being able to choose individual technology partners, audit and diligence them to ensure that they comply with our ethics and compliance framework, we can actually make a promise to our consumer that allows us to empower the consumer to bank in accordance with their values, whilst also allowing some of the larger incumbents to take advantage of that. And that is the gap that a fintech like Algebra has been able to, I think, quite successfully fill at the moment, hence the strategic partnership with MasterCard, who are looking to bank um, you know, a large number of unbanked people globally. And Algebra is at the forefront of banking. By the way, underserved communities in banking doesn't necessarily mean that those communities are socioeconomically underserved. They can be very wealthy, but they may not be served in accordance with their needs, right? And we're seeing a move of banking from mainstream to a verticalization by community. Mm-hmm. And if you want to address the needs of that community in a particular way, you have to understand that community and you have to be agile enough to make the changes to your platform to address that community. So when we're working with MasterCard, that's what we're doing. Got it. So we released a report with them last year called Lifestyle and Values Banking, where we highlighted some of the amazing fintechs doing work there. And we're also partnering with them on the Prices Planet Coalition, where we're helping to reduce the carbon footprint of our customers, as well as customers across the wider MasterCard network where we can. Fantastic. It's great to hear both of you, Faisal and Matt, talking about you know, some of the same issues about you know, due diligence and auditing and making sure you've got the right processes in place. I'd love to carry on talking about this, but we're, we're running out of time. So I'm going to end with one last quick question uh, to all three of you. So one, what's one piece of advice you'd give to maybe a smaller charity or a community looking to try and uh, encourage donations and sort of maybe increase the options for, for, for customers to try and not customers, sorry, wrong word, increase the, the options for uh, their community, people to, to, to donate to them. Um, so maybe I'll start with you, uh, Matt. One piece of advice to... One piece of advice to... If, if charities, I think, if charities or businesses, affected platforms want to encourage donations, I think my piece of advice would be to get a a digital acquisition specialist that understands how to use the psychological emotive triggers that are required to action a donation Got it. Faisal, what about you? Um, I would say approach Algebra and <laughs> apply, to, uh, apply via our community page. Uh, we're always looking for organizations to support. And if you are promoting arts, culture, media and sports, which are the four pillars of community organizations that we support, if you're operating within those areas, absolutely go to our website, drop us a line. We're always here to talk. Fantastic. And Sarah? Um, I would say offer flexibility. You know, we have different people of different incomes, different um, disposable incomes, all want to give, but be able to offer them the flexibility to match their ability to give. So whether it's micro donations, whether it's roundups, whether it's roundups every other day, once a day, you know, something like that, which allows people to continue to give and allows them to also live through these uh, inflation times as well. That's really great. Unfortunately, that wraps up today's discussion. I really, really enjoyed it. Thank you all so much for joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, where can people find out more about you and your companies? Um, Sarah, ladies first. Uh, so you can find out me on LinkedIn. I'm Sarah Habib on LinkedIn. Uh, Sarah Habib, 11FS, and you'll find me there. And Matt? Yes, yeah, so you find me on LinkedIn, Matt Crate, CEO of Toucan. And if you if you are interested in making a donation to charities, um, 
you can go to the App Store, search Toucan Giving, and you can download our Toucan Giving app. You can make a donation to up to three charities in our flexible giving portfolio, and you can change that every month. Fantastic. And Faisal? Uh, so go to www.algebra.com, algebra without the E. Uh, you'll find all the information there. Um, we held a fantastic event earlier this year called Algebra Decoded at the Design Museum where we unveiled our vision, our mission, and our values. Uh, there's a bunch of videos on there. We also have a product demo and product unveiling as well as a few panelists and speeches from some of our key team members. Love for you guys to go and see it. Let me know your thoughts and feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Faisal Nejabat. Fantastic. Thank you. And you can find me, uh, Benjamin Ensor, on LinkedIn uh, or at 11fs.com. So thank you all very much, everyone, for listening. Uh, if you like what you've heard, please subscribe to our podcast and don't forget to give us a review. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, please find us on social media. Just search for 11FS or Fintech Insider or email podcasts at 11fs.com. Don't forget to look up those uh, charity apps. Thank you very much indeed and goodbye. <laughs>